energy. So this guy in the fantasy baseball chat is just ripping me. He's calling me names for how I handled my team. Buddy, you had 20 weeks for your own team to play better. Don't be mad at me. The passion. Mac Jones is fighting not just for his Patriots job, but he very well may be fighting for his NFL future. The opinions on all your favorite teams. For the Red Sox, it can't always be about next year. It can't always be about down the road. Where's the team that battles for now? This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB AM, FM, and WDEBradio.com. What's up, everybody? Happy Thursday here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB AM and FM and WDEBradio.com. Full show tonight, all 90 minutes. We're up until 7 o'clock, and then we take you to Jazz with George Thomas. Buster Olney of ESPN going to stop by here in about 20 minutes and catch up with us with the latest on the baseball general managers meetings, which were canceled, actually, because of a virus going around. So hope everyone is okay. Buster is not there, to my knowledge, or was not there, so... That is good news as well. We'll catch up with Buster. We'll ask him a bunch of Red Sox questions as well, kind of put a bow in what we talked about with TC. So you can get in on the text line at 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. I'm here. Danny's here. You're here. Let go. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show were brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber, also Rouse's Point, New York. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. There is a concerning new piece of information out about Mac Jones. Football information, nothing off the field, no off the field issues, so totally related to his on-field play. There's a there's a new issue out there about Mac Jones. I think the Patriots have no one to blame but themselves. The the thought will be to blame Mac. The thought will be to pile on Mac. I think the Patriots have no one to blame but themselves. I think no one to blame but Bill Belichick specifically. Danny, let's hear what Albert Breer says is bothering those in the organization. Uh, I think so. One thing that's really infuriated people there is people some, there, people in the building. Yeah, is the decision making, and mm. they've been sold the smart, efficient, game managing quarterback, and they're not getting it. The decision making hasn't been good. They see him passing up open receivers. They see things, quite frankly, that you wouldn't see from a quarterback who has those sorts of qualities. So it's not just the physical limitations now. It's also that it doesn't feel like this, like he's really taking the coaching. Danny, let me hear the next Breer cut as well because it goes along with this. Um, in the third quarter, it's right here where Mac Jones checked to a throw to Mike Gesicki. Mike Gesicki came wide open down the, the seam. You can see him down there. Mac Jones, as you can see there, tucked the ball and ran with it. And um, the coaches I know were baffled. Because he checked to that play. That play is designed to go to Kaziki. Kaziki comes wide open down the seam. That thing might be a touchdown. He pats the ball, tucks it, and runs around the corner, scrambles for three yards. So people are frustrated at Mac's decision-making, and people are frustrated specifically at Mac leaving things on the table. I think both of those frustrations are, are, I think both of those frustrations are warranted. But let me say this. Bill Belichick, to me, has no one to blame but himself. It's very hard to play quarterback 
when you are scared. It's very hard to play sports when you are scared. It's very hard to execute at any job when you are fearful. And that is what I believe the Patriots have made Mac Jones. I believe the Patriots have taken a guy who is what Breer said, right? Physically limited, heady, smart, inquisitive, and they have turned him into a guy who is physically limited but is now also timid and scared. Why? Why is Mac Jones timid and scared? Well, one, he has no idea for a while, week to week, if the job was going to be his, right? Dating back to last year, he's looking over his shoulder about Bailey Zappi. He's got people, or he's got Belichick out there publicly praising Zappi, not praising him. He's got people, he's got the fans calling for Zappi's name in that Monday night game against the Bears. Zappi comes in, throws a long pass on the sideline. People are calling for Zappi. He's got people now in the media calling for Zappi. He's got people in the media calling for his job. The New England Patriots have not given Mac any assurances that he is the guy. They have not really made him believe like he's the guy. And we've heard the reports from Phil Perry and others that they have tried to beat out of him any risk-taking. They have said to him, do not turn the football over. Do not turn the football over. We've heard it from Bill Belichick. Ball security is the number one thing. The number one thing is holding on to the ball. The turnover battle is the most important stat. So what do you have here? You have a quarterback that is playing nervous. He's nervous about his future, and he's nervous in the moment because he's been told, don't take unnecessary risks. So I don't have the play in front of me that Breer is referencing, but when you tell me that the quarterback isn't taking a shot and is tucking the ball and running for three yards, what are you telling me? That the quarterback is playing safe. The quarterback cannot throw an interception if he tucks the ball and runs for three yards, right? Mac Jones has made some poor throws this year. Mac Jones has made some bad decisions. You have told us over and over again that you will not stand for bad decision-making, that that doesn't fly in the organization, and that's not how you win quarterback or or win games as a quarterback. So Mac Jones is like, fine, I'm not going to ever put the ball in harm's way. And this was the thing I mentioned several weeks ago that bothered me, that worried me. When you put constraints on a guy – You take a guy who is physically limited already, and now you are making him play scared. And that is a problem. Right? And some of you will say, oh, Brady, Mac just needs to be tougher, and he's a pro athlete, and fine. You can say that all you want, but I don't think that Mac is that guy. You have to learn how to coach your players individually and not just have some overarching system that you always adhere to. Right? You can't be bad cop with everybody. Mac Jones needs to be coddled. I think that's very clear. And I'm sorry that you think that he's soft, but that is how a lot of modern-day athletes are. They need to be coddled. They need to be propped up. So if Bill would go to the microphone and say, you know what, hey, Mac is our guy, and we're going to work through this, I think Mac would take more chances. But when every minute Mac feels like his job is threatened, then I don't think he wants to take those chances because he's trying to do what you told him to do. They're like, oh, he's not taking the – Breer goes, oh, they're worrying he's not taking the coaching. I think he's taking the coaching perfectly fine. What has the coaching point been? The coaching point has been don't turn the football over, Mac. So we're fine. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to throw unless my guy is high school open. And if he's not high school open, a.k.a. no one standing around him, I'm going to tuck the ball and I'm going to run. 
And if I can run for three yards, that's better than me standing in the pocket and waiting for something to develop and taking a seven-yard sack, which he told me not to do. That's better than me uh, trying to force a ball into a window's not there and, and letting it get picked or tipped or whatever. You told me not to put the ball in harm's way. So Breer says, oh, he's not taking the coaching. Uh-uh. I think he's taking the coaching too well. You have beaten out of him any risk-taking. Look, I am not a Mac Jones fan. You're aware of this. But at some point, what do you want the kid to do? Because when the kid was trying to make plays and was trying to play hero ball, he was turning it over. Right? When he was trying to save the play against Vegas and throws back across his body or throws back across his body against Dallas because you're getting walloped and he's trying to put the team on his back, you told us, you told him, hey, Mac, don't do that. Stay within the framework of the offense. Stay within you. Do what the offense asks you to do. Don't try to do anything more. When he was trying to do more, you asked him to do less. Now he's doing less, and you're asking him to do more. I do not like this catch-22 that Mac Jones is in. I feel for the kid now. Right? When, when everybody thought he was great, I was the one to tell you that he was average. Now that everybody thinks he stinks, I'm trying to talk him up a little bit. I feel bad for this kid. He was jerked around last year with the coaching situation, and he's being jerked around philosophically this year. Hey, you want me to be the guy? Well, when I try to play like the guy, you get mad at me. You don't want me to be the guy, so I take the sure thing, and now you're mad at me. What do you want him to do? You never give him assurances that the job is safe. You never, you haven't signed him to a long-term contract, so clearly he's worried about his future, rightfully so. And then on a week-to-week basis, the Patriots talk about teaching points and trying to win the week and trying to do X, Y, and Z better. So he's trying to do X, Y, and Z better, and that involves not turning the football over. Right? I mean, Mac played a safe and conservative game against Washington, and you know what? They were in it at the end. They had a chance to win it at the end. He took a risk at the end by throwing that ball to Juju, and he got screwed for it because Juju dropped it, and the ball got, you know, the ball got batted or just hit in the air, and it got intercepted. I mean, what more do you want from him? Just tell him how you want him to play, and I trust that he will play that way. If you want him to play reckless and free, I think you could see him sling it around the yard. If you want him to play tight and conservative, he's going to play like he's playing now, like the play Breer's talking about. It's very, very frustrating, and I get that directives change and game plans change and coaches have talking points and all that. You're not helping the kid by 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 giving him this, right? Every week it's a new thing. Don't turn it over. Hey, take your shot. Which one is it? Which one? Are we playing loose and free and shooting from the hip? Are we playing as structured as possible, three yards in a cloud of dust? Very, very frustrating. The Patriots have hurt Mac Jones' development. We knew that last year with coaching. They continue to hurt it with coaching. Not taking coaching. No, he's taking the coaching fine. The coaching is what's screwing him up. Three coordinators in three years. Mac is an average player. Now you've taken away his ability to play the position, essentially. You have made him play with one hand tied behind his back because of the lack of personnel, and you have made him play with one hand tied behind his back because you just don't want him to turn it over. How many hands he got left? The answer is zero. Maybe part of the reason he didn't throw it to a wide open Gasicki is because he ain't used to people being wide open. Everywhere he looks on this field, somebody is stuck to his receiver like glue. 
His team, his guys don't separate. His guys don't get open. Danny, you sent me a stat the other day. What are we, like Juju and Parker, like 84th and 86th among, or Gasicki among, at, among receivers this year, the ability to get open? He's got nowhere to throw. So the one time he's got somebody to throw to, he's like, whoa, what's that all about? I'm used to having to take off because everybody's covered. It's very, very frustrating. 802-585-3026. That is the text line. You can get on in. We are here until 7 o'clock. Um, we're going to get to Buster here in a minute. We're going to get back to the Patriots as we go. But uh, very scary, I guess, probably is the right word. Also unusual stuff out of the general manager's meetings. Remember, Danny, yesterday we had TC on at 620, and we were talking Red Sox. Man, I was pumped, right? I love off-season hot stove stuff. Winter meetings, general manager's meetings. I love all this, right? I want to hear about the hot stove. I want to hear about uh, free agent signings and option declinings and, and contract structures. I was pumped yesterday to talk to TC. Now, the general manager's meetings have been since postponed. About midnight last night, they canceled the rest of the general manager's meetings. The reason being, there's a virus going through the executives there, and it's not food poisoning like they thought maybe initially. It's a true virus. We don't know if it's COVID or the flu or what, but it is a true virus, and it is going through the uh, executives, and so the meetings have been canceled. So on to the full off-season program we go, and we'll have about a month now until the winter meetings. But uh, luckily, Buster Olney was not in Arizona. Buster is safe in the confines of Montana, and he's on the phone line with us now, our ESPN MLB insider Buster Olney is here, Danny tells me. Buster, I'm glad you were in Montana. I'm glad you weren't in Arizona. Thank you for being with us. Um, healthy. I was texting with uh, some executives this morning and asking the question, are you, are you doing okay? Everything okay on your end? And, yeah, what an unusual situation. Uh, you know, but uh, even though the general managers are going to be truncated, there's plenty of us, uh, plenty for us to talk about this winter, that's for sure. Well, look, we talked a lot with TC yesterday about the Red Sox. I want to kind of follow up on some of what we talked about with him and then kind of get some macro stuff as well. But uh, it was a week ago today that Craig Breslow was introduced as the uh, new chief baseball officer of the Red Sox. He's very, very smart. He's very, very well-spoken. He's not giving a lot right now in terms of where the team is headed. What's been your first impressions? Uh, I'm impressed that it does feel like that he's got some leadership capabilities, uh, that, you know, he, he's saying, he's saying the right things, but it does feel like that he's also placing a high value on organizational culture. Uh, and it does feel like he's being inclusive, you know, based on the conversations I've had with people. And, and that's good. I think that's a, that's definitely a step forward. And I would assume. As you say, I mean, he's not telling us a lot about what they're going to go after, but you would assume that pitching uh, is going to be priority given the fact that that's Craig's background, uh, that's his expertise, and, you know, whether that's adding a pitching coach like an Andrew Bailey who makes a lot of sense, uh, you know, whether it's uh, going out and, and pursuing a free agent. Um, I think that that's, uh, you know, that that's going to be the area of focus this winter. Speaking of pitching, I asked this question of TC yesterday, and I want to get your perspective on this, Buster. The guy I want, if I'm the Red Sox, is Sonny Gray. And I want him for a, a myriad of reasons. One, he won't be as expensive as some of the guys at the top of the food chain. Ground ball pitcher, I think that would play well at Fenway. But... In his career, he's been really good in Oakland, Cincinnati, and Minnesota. He was not good with the Yankees. Is there a 
a fear that he would not be good in a big market or the Yankees, you think, an outlier in what's a pretty good career? Look, and I've known Sonny since he was an undergrad at Vanderbilt, uh, you know, uh, where I went to school. He's a great guy, and, and I don't think there's any doubt that his experience with the Yankees would scare off a team like the Red Sox mm. uh, because it was clear he didn't want to be there. He didn't, uh, didn't uh, you know, didn't respond well to the booing that he was getting. I think he is someone who's going to be more comfortable in a smaller mid-market. Uh, and, and just – and I haven't talked to Sonny about what he wants in free agency, but I personally would be stunned if he doesn't wind up with the St. Louis Cardinals. Mm. Uh, you know, a team that's desperate for starting pitching, and, you know, it's not far away from where Sonny grew up in Tennessee. Uh, so I – I think that the Cardinals will be out in the marketplace with money to spend. Sonny's well worth it. He's a terrific pitcher. He's demonstrated that. He's a Cy Young finalist. And uh, I just I think he's probably someone who's, you know, better off not being in New York and being in Philadelphia, being in Boston. You know, I don't know if it's going to be Yamamoto or if it's going to be Blake Snell or if it's going to be Montgomery. I think the Red Sox need a pitcher at the top of the food chain. But I'm also interested in a bounce-back candidate like Lucas Giolito, right? They can't make their entire rotation bounce-back candidates as they've done in the past. But if you can make your number five starter a bounce-back candidate, I'm fine with that. What do you think about the market for Giolito and kind of the potential of him? So Kylie McDaniel, who's my colleague at ESPN, uh, you know, he put, he projected the contract for Giolito at four years and $68 million. Oh. Uh, I, I gotta say, I just, I, I, I am gonna be, I would be surprised if it's that high because he has really struggled. And, uh, you know, what Kylie didn't mention in, in his piece was, I think everyone wonders, you know, was Lucas Giolito with his, uh, you know, spike of success? How much was that tied to sticky stuff? Mm. And that's not a knock on him. As you know, uh, you know, there were a lot of pitchers in the sport who were using sticky stuff. If, if, uh, you know, Lucas is one of those guys, I think a lot of teams will be digging into that. You know, is he able to get the same spin on his fastball, you know, post, uh, you know, post the ban, the crackdown we had on sticky stuff? I think that's going to affect a lot of what comes on. I'd say this. I do think if you're the Red Sox, there are a lot of, you know, potential good buys in this marketplace, guys, you know, one-year deals. And that didn't work out for them necessarily last year. But I look at someone like Luis Severino of the Yankees, mm-hmm. uh, who was, uh, you know, he's, he's demonstrated he's healthy, which has been the question with him. Uh, and, and given the fact how hard he throws, uh, given his pure stuff, I think he'd be a good gamble yeah. for some team. Um, I know when I was, you know, late in the year when he was struggling with the Yankees, I was in the Astros clubhouse. One of the players was like, man, I'd love to have that guy on our team. Yeah. Uh, and I translated that as, I'm willing to take a shot at a guy with the pure stuff like that. Giolito definitely is one of those guys. But, you know, if it's four years and $68 million, I think maybe the Red Sox look someplace else. And I do wonder, you know, Eduardo Rodriguez going back out in the marketplace, uh, you know, having opted out of his deal with the Tigers, is he someone who would be a good buy for the Red mm-hmm. Sox? Because they know this. He knows the market. He's comfortable in the market. Um you know, and uh, they need a left-hander. Buster Olney, ESPN MLB Insider with us here on the Brady Farkas Show and WDEV. Let's kind of talk about the outfield. Let's kind of work backwards here. We have talked about Alex Verdugo. I think he's going to get traded. I think he should get traded. You said last week he doesn't have a whole lot of value. Well, Breslow did say yesterday, I think very, very calculatedly, that they're fielding a lot of calls on Verdugo. Do you think that's true, or is he trying to drum up interest and raise the price? 
No, I think there probably is a lot of uh, interest in him. Uh, you know, I, I mean, look, the, the perfect comp for Verdugo at this point is what happened with Mark Canna of the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, you know, someone who had one year left with an option, I think it was for $11 million, yep. $12 million. Uh, and what did the Brewers get back? Not much. They got a fringy minor league pitcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that kind of tells you, and Canna played really well. Uh, in his in his time in Milwaukee, so that, I think that kind of gives you an idea of what you know the value of uh, the potential trade value for a guy on a one year with one year left before free agency. Uh, if you're the Red Sox, probably a priority is to clear the salary, and uh, you know to give you some flexibility to do some other things, and you hope you get a lottery ticket in return. You know, a young guy, as I said to you last week who might be 17, 18 years old, in two or three years, he might turn into something. I do think there probably are teams interested because it's only a one-year obligation and it's not a ton of money. But do I think those teams are calling saying, yeah, you can work from our top five prospect list, no chance. So, Buster, let's now kind of talk about – let's keep talking about the outfield. Let's assume Verdugo's gone. Adam Duvall is gone in free agency. That leaves the Red Sox with three youngsters, right? It leaves them with Jaron Duran – Sedan Rafaela and William Abreu. I can't imagine a team that wants to compete in 2024 going in with three outfielders with that little experience. So whether they sign someone or they deal one of those guys, I'm not sure. But who's an outfielder you think could be a fit for them? Because they're going to need somebody with experience out there. Yeah, Tommy Pham. Mm. Uh, look, the advantage of being a Red Sox, being with the Red Sox, is you're going to have a little bit more financial flexibility. So let's say you decide that you're, you're going to flip for Dugo and you want to get, you know, a right-handed veteran. Well, Tommy Pham has experience in Boston. Yep. He's, he demonstrated down the stretch that he could hit. I think he's probably going to be in line to get a two-year deal, maybe two years, 24, two years, 25 million. Um, and maybe if you're the Red Sox, that's the type of investment you're willing to make. You know, what I heard from the Diamondbacks people too, is that a day in, day out, they loved his intensity, and they loved how he was a part of things. It's not the sort of, uh, you know, that's not the sort of signing that's going to light up the board uh, on on talk shows. But I do think it's something where, if you're talking about not extending yourself with some whopper signing while trying to add depth, uh, Tommy would be a pretty good choice, especially with Justin Turner now leaving. And essentially, you're trying to replace that type of hitter. Yeah, and Breslow said, I think, interestingly enough, yesterday or two days ago, that he views the designated hitter spot as, like, short of having a Hall of Famer, he would rather have it kind of as a yeah. rotational piece. So that means Justin Turner is not coming back. That it, that surprised me because Turner liked it here. He was good here, and he was great in the clubhouse. Usually when you have all three of those things, I think it's pretty easy to bring a guy back. I'm, are you surprised that Turner appears to not be a fit in 2024 here? No, I, you know, because I, I mean, I've heard this. I mean, he really loved playing with the Dodgers. He loved being out on the West Coast. Uh, you know, from what I understand, the Diamondbacks are going to be really interested in him to, you know, effectively be a replacement for Evan Longoria, a potential upgrade. Um, so I, I'm, I'm not surprised, and, and that's not at all. Look, I, I think Justin did everything right with the Red Sox. As you say, you know, he's a clubhouse guy, but he also embraced it. Um, you know, in, in the things that he did, I love the, the tweets last week about, hey, you know, Boston, I'm doing a candle pin bowling, mm-hmm. got a tip. Um, and I, I think that's important. And, 
but I, I, I do understand why, as Justin gets older, the feeling would be, look, we, we want to make sure, and with Yoshida's presence, let's face it, because Yoshida's someone who's viewed as some who probably his best position is a DH, you're going, going to want to create some flexibility there. That's right. I forgot Yoshida when I mentioned my outfield glut there for the Red Sox. I'd kind of written him into the DH spot, so can't forget him as well. Uh, Buss, before I get you out of here, kind of out, I guess Otani Watch is the continued biggest story right now in baseball. We probably don't know a lot there. What else is standing out to you nationally right now? What's happening with the managers, which I think could have a direct impact on the Red Sox a year from now. You know, Craig Council is generally regarded as one of the top two or three managers in the sport. I think if you did a vote of general managers, he probably would, would be voted number one. And we just saw him, uh, you know, do something that we see players do all the time in, and that is to get to free agency. His contract expired on October 31st. He was in the open market. The Chicago Cubs stunned the baseball world by signing him to this record-setting five years, $40 million deal. There is a feeling in the uh, manager fraternity that that group of people has been vastly underpaid uh, in, in the last uh, over the last 20 years. And there's talk uh, within that fraternity of, you know what, more guys need to get to free agency to push the salary ceiling. Who's the free agent next fall? Skip Schumacher, the Marlins. Uh, his deal set to expire, Brett, uh, Aaron Boone and Alex Cora. And if Alex Cora gets to free agency, he's going to make a lot of money because mm. he is, uh, like counsel, regarded as one of the best guys. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, if the Red Sox try to do a preemptive strike or if Alex, like counsel, says, you know what, uh, I'm just going to get to the open market. Uh, that's when I'm going to have a better idea, as we saw with the Cubs and counsel, uh, you know, what uh, what his actual value is. And, and we'll see if the Red Sox retain him. I think that's going to be a conversation a year from now. Buster, do you have time for one more quick question that just came to me? Yeah. Rob Bradford Absolutely. of WEEI said earlier today that last year the Red Sox and Yankees were talking about a possible Alex Verdugo for Glaber Torres swap. And he thinks the Red Sox are still interested in Torres to kind of fill their second base needs. Do you see something potentially happening there? Well, the big, uh, you know, push for the Yankees potentially in doing that is, is that they need a left-handed bat. Verdugo would certainly bring that. Um, you know, they have some, uh, depth in the middle infield. So you could theoretically move Glaber. Um, you know, maybe this would be the case of a rare Red Sox Yankee trade. I still think that, you know, given the Yankees struggles offensively last year, trading Glaber Torres right now for them would be like trading one of their three or four best yeah. hitters. That would be uh, a high bar for them. And I think that from their perspective, they probably could go out and get a, you know, the sort of production that they would get out of Verdugo in the free agent market, you know, on a one or two year deal, like some of the, you know, some of the names that you and I have mm. talked about. So my instinct is that if uh, Glaber Torres is traded, it's not going to be necessarily for a one year guy. Buster, you're the best. Thank you. Uh, enjoy your continued time in Montana. Enjoy the off season. We'll catch up next week. Thanks Brady. Absolutely. Buster only our ESPN MLB insider lot to digest there. We will do a lot of that in the six o'clock hour, but I got to tell you, if Lucas Giolito gets four years and $68 million, I am so far out, you would never, you wouldn't even be able to see me in the screen. Like, I have no desire in giving Lucas Giolito four years and $68 million. Lucas Giolito went eight and 15 this year with an ERA of nearly five. He went eight and 15 with an ERA of nearly five. 
I understand that wins and losses don't mean a lot anymore because, yeah, he was on the White Sox. Yeah, they're going to lose a bunch of games. But he was bad with the Angels when they traded for him. He was bad with Cleveland when he got there. Look, Lucas Giolito in his career is 61-62 and 62 with a 4-4-3 ERA. He ain't Cy Young. He was in the... He was an all-star back in 2019. He has, he has only had one, two, three years of his career over 500. Like three years out of eight has he been over 500. I have no interest in four years and $68 million for that. Four years and $68 million is what Nathan Evaldi got a couple of years ago from the Red Sox, right? And he had been a World Series hero from 2018. I was thinking we were going to look at Giolito was like, a one-year make-good guy, right? Like how they gave Kluber one year and seven million dollars. That's where I thought that Giolito was going to be. Four years and sixty-eight. Get the hell out of here with that. I mean, look, I'm all for the players getting their money, but he ain't getting that money from me. You can go get that money from the Pirates or the Yankees or somebody else, but you're not going to get that money from me. If it was one year and eleven million dollars. I might be able to be on board. But Lucas Giolito is going to be my fifth starter if I'm the Boston Red Sox. I'm not giving my fifth starter $17 million a year. we got more Buster to recap here in the 6 o'clock hour. But Danny and I had a little competition going last night, and I was a big winner, and I'm going to let him know about it. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show, the WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com, always streaming on the free WDEV radio app. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here at WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Full show tonight. We're up until 7 o'clock. Then we'll have Jazz with George Thomas. Danny, are you ready to uh, to claim defeat against me what in happened? our little wager from yesterday? I don't remember a wager, but go on. So you are, as I said yesterday, the biggest Levitard Show fan that I know. One of the biggest Levitard Show fans I'm sure that there is. Levitard, if you missed yesterday, Levitard is a former show that was on ESPN Radio. Now they do their own thing. But Danny is, like, obsessed with them. Danny listens to their show more than Danny listens to our show That's over the true. course of it. You know. Not anymore. Okay. Well, you used to. Danny used to listen to, to Levitard more than he would listen to me. Um so Stu Gotts is the co-host of the Dan Levitard Show, and I have talked to Stu Gotts before, and we've had him on the air multiple times, not at this station, but at a previous station I was with. I had his contact info, and I reached out to him yesterday and said, asked him to come on the show, and I said, hey, like, I want to come on the show. We've talked a lot in the past. Hasn't We haven't spoken for a while. My producer, Danny, is a diehard, is a big Levitard fan. would love to have you on, have a little fun with it. And Danny goes, he's not going to respond. He's not going to respond. He told me yesterday he's not going to respond. That's a revision. What'd you say? I thought he wasn't going to respond that night, but go on. You said I don't think he's going to respond, period. Ever? Yes. That's what you said. I'll have to listen back to the tape. And then today, at 1.10 p.m., the response comes. Okay? I'm pulling out my phone right now. Here is exact. I did get the response from Stu Gotts. Brady, hope you are well. Tell your producer he has awful taste. Ha, ha, ha. Happy to do this. Touch base with me Monday. We'll figure it out. What days and times are you thinking? I responded, told him when we could do it. He says, great. I should be able to make something work for you next week. Let's talk Monday. Thanks. And then he gave me a thumbs up emoji. So you said that your boy wouldn't respond, and he responded, and now he's probably going to come on the show. Right? He says he's going to come on the show. 
So says. he says, uh, "Do not. You, you didn't think he would respond. He responded. Now you don't think he's. Now you think he's gonna to, gonna stand us up? We'll see. We'll see. If he stands us up, is he still gonna be your boy? Uh, of course. But that's the two guys thing to do. What? Did, so to you overbook really, himself really is what he does. Look, I gotta tell you, I've been doing this for nine years now, and I've been like at the forefront of guest booking for shows for like seven years now. Usually, usually, if people want, if people don't want to come on, they just don't respond. If people are really, I think they're jerks. Other people think it's considerate. Sometimes people will respond and tell you that I'm out. So I like. I've had people say, no, I'm not interested in coming on. Generally, if people don't want to come on, they don't send you multiple messages telling you they're going to come on, figuring out times to come on, only then to bail or ghost you. Since he's gone to the trouble to respond and gone to the trouble to write me thoughtful, lengthy messages, i got to believe he's coming on the show. I believe he wants to come on, too. So then what's going to prevent him from it? There's 24 hours in a day. I will tape with him in advance if I have to. Considering his producers sometimes don't know if he shows up that day, you know, that's that's the Stu guy's experience. I will tape. If he wants to tape at 8 in the morning, I will do it. If he wants to tape at 8 at night, I will do it. If he wants to come on live at 545, I will do it. My only my only requirement of this, Danny, is that I want you in the interview. So if he tells me 8 a.m. Monday, you better be there. I'll be there. So... Because I'm doing this in part for you. I want you to be able to ask your role. Would you say he's like your your role model, your idol in this business? I don't know about idol, but uh, sort of like one of those celebrities that you follow. But he's not really a celebrity. So Stu Gatz is a celebrity. A, a sports, very niche celebrity status. Yes, and he's a sports media celebrity. I, I would agree with that. But if if he comes on the show... I want you to tell the whole world that I got a little juice because you didn't think I could make this happen, and I've at least gotten the, res- the multi responses. Well, let's we'll see what happens. You got to tell that you got to tell everyone that I got a little juice if this happens. For I'll us. give you the win here. I got the win today. Eight zero two five eight five thirty twenty six. You're not bailing on me for tomorrow night yet, are you? You're, no, no. You're not gonna you're not gonna come up with an excuse. I to told not- you we're booked. Well, you just you're telling me about other people who book things and then back out. I want to make sure you're I'm not, not one of them. Guts. All right. So, so you, me, and Steve from the Legion. We got a nice little trio there. Of people were hanging out, and and you know you're gonna we're gonna see if you can keep up. We'll see. We're gonna see if you can keep up with me and Steve. So probably not. A little dinner, a little trip to the Legion, hang out. The br- just just guys doing guy things on a Friday night in in, in the town of Waterbury. Paint the town beige. That's what. Well, Danny might paint it beige, but I'm going to paint it red. That's for sure. So, all right. Eight hundred two five eight five thirty two. Peter says, "Good work with Stu Gotts. You have the juice in my book." He goes, "The nicest refusal to ever to go on air I got." Remember, Peter used to work in radio. Dean Smith he used to be the basketball coach at North Carolina. That's a pretty good one. Uh, he says, "What a gentleman he was." The harshest refusal I ever got was from London Fletcher, who's an old linebacker for the Rams. He was steamed. I bothered him at the bar. I don't know that I would go up to a guy randomly and ask him to come up with a show at the bar. Especially I, I, a linebacker. Yeah, I think, Peter, you might have been out of bounds on that one. Now, you definitely get credit because the producers are supposed to be pushy and they're supposed to be go-getters. He definitely gets credit for that. Wouldn't I wouldn't go and say, that you that that the athlete was wrong. I would say you were in the wrong. I still give you credit and bonus points, 
but I, I wouldn't do it either. Or top, I wouldn't like top it. Top five worst athletes to walk, uh, to try to book at a bar? Ooh. Uh, James Harrison, the old Steelers linebacker, Patriots linebacker. I, I would not want to try to book him at the bar. Um, I got a refusal from Adam Schefter. Um, now I had talked to Schefter before, like Schefter was on with me or us weekly in Albany when I was there. Like it, I wasn't that big a deal at that time. I don't know that I'm a big deal now, but I didn't have my own show then. I just was filling in like it was like holiday stuff or guy was out sick. So I was filling in. So our station spoke to Schefter every week. I had spoken to him occasionally and he, I tried to get him on in Burlington and he just responded. He responded and said, no, like some people think that that's really courteous of the guests. Cause he actually responded and wrote, you know, I consider you a jerk. I'd rather get ignored than be told. No, like if you're going to take the time to respond, just come on the damn show. But Schefter told me, did that. he give you a reason or just said, no, he just said, I'm really busy. I don't want to. Hmm. He now, busy. It, was, it was around the NFL draft. I mean, like there's no doubt he was busy, but, if you don't want to come on, just don't respond. That's how I look at it. I guess like it is courteous that he responded, but I would, I was too upset. I didn't want to hear that. I wanted to hear like, Hey, it's a little busy right now. How about after the draft? Okay. Fine. You're not, are you busy after, are you busy four days after the draft? Are you busy two weeks after the draft? I don't think so. Tech says I should not have gone up to London Fletcher. Yeah. I, I think you're probably right there. Something that you should do. I want to make, I want to put the push out for this, the PSA. Tomorrow, evening is the pack the gut challenge and if you don't know what the pack the gut challenge is it is a challenge orchestrated by the uvm women's hockey team to do just that to pack the gut so the uvm women's hockey team is playing boston college tomorrow night boston college is a nationally renowned program they're number 15 in the country uvm has had some good success against them over the last couple of years tomorrow night at 6 p.m as much as i want you to listen to every minute of this show Tomorrow night at 6 p.m., UVM is taking on Boston College, and that is the Pack the Gut Challenge. They want to, that place holds thousands of people. They want to fill every seat. And I'm, I'm going to stunt here for the UVM women's hockey program. They are really good. They deserve your attention. Okay. I spoke to Jim Plumer, their head coach earlier today. That full interview is available already on our podcast channel on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, but I asked him, about pack the gut and why it's important and what it means to the program and here's what he told me you know initially there was a a sense of like hey can we find a way to get some people to our games then we started started having success and i think we we play a great brand of hockey it's entertaining i think in particular this weekend the way bc plays and the way we play i think there's going to be a there's going to be a lot of offense up and down the ice uh, a lot of really high skilled players and um, so, you know, my, my sort of dream is that someday we don't have to have a pack the gut game because every game is packed yeah. the gut. But, um, you know, I think one of, the, one of the reasons we wanted to try having it earlier because it's typically been a January thing is to get people here to a game earlier in the season that would be inclined to come back and, and, and watch some more games. The goal is to make it so that every game is a pack-the-gut game. And look, the UVM women's hockey team, again, they deserve your attention. I've talked a lot of basketball in the early going. I'm a big fan of both the UVM men and the UVM women's basketball teams. UVM women's hockey, you deserve to be fan. They deserve your attention also. They're 4-1 and one right now inside Hockey East play. They've gone from a team that was a doormat in the league eight years ago when I got here to now a team that can finish top two or three every single year 
in Hockey East. The Hockey East is the best conference in the country. UVM women can get to the NCAA tournament. They've produced Olympians. They've produced world championship caliber players. They've had the player of the year in the league last year in Teresa Schafsall. They have one of the top goaltenders in the league in Jesse McPherson, who's out right now with injury, but she is one of the best goaltenders in the league. Six o'clock tomorrow. You go watch the game. You're back home by nine. Everybody's in bed or on, the, on with the rest of their Friday night. It's going to be a really fun experience over at uh, over at the gut and good for Jim Bloomer and his team again four and one right now inside league play they're coming off a loss against Holy Cross but they could take two from Boston College that would absolutely be a huge message huge message to the fan base to the conference and to the national selection committee come March as a whole as well so congratulations on the success to Jim Plumer and his team all right let's get back into the Patriots here 802-585-3026 Danny, there's a situation going on here with J.C. Jackson, and it's not a good one, right? J.C. Jackson is defying Bill Belichick in some matter here. Um, so remember on Sunday in that loss against Washington, J.C. Jackson was benched. The cornerback was benched for most of the first quarter. Jack Jones was benched for the first quarter as well. After the game, Bill Belichick was asked about if it was disciplinary. He said, no, we just had everybody played. He kind of moved on. Well, now we know from Ian Rappaport that J.C. Jackson and Jack Jones were late to the team hotel on Saturday night. And now, and then Jackson said he wouldn't speak to the media after the game on Sunday. And now Jackson's being left home from the Germany trip entirely. Mark Bertrand of 98.5 The Sports Hub on that. What a joke. Why Why even keep him then? Why embarrass yourself? Why, why keep him on the roster? What's the point? Bob and I said it yesterday. You're 2-7. and seven. Your team blows. You need all the help you can get. And you brought this guy back for next to nothing. You didn't give up much to have him here. And it, based on the contracts, he's likely not going to be here next year. So why, why even bother? He's been back for five minutes and you can't count on him to make a road trip. Yeah, completely agree. If I were the Patriots, I'd be cutting JC Jackson. There, there, we don't need this. JC Jack, I've always said, Danny, I would get this saying tattooed on my forehead if I could. How good you are dictates how big a distraction you can be. J.C. Jackson is not good enough, important enough, or expensive enough to this team to be kept around to be this kind of distraction. All you're going to do here is pollute your locker room, and that's what we can't have. Right? The Patriots are at a spot now where they're 2-7. and seven. It's going to be very difficult to keep this team together. You're going to see guys splinter off individually and guys will start to care about themselves individually. It's already going to be tough to keep this team together. The last thing you need is a bad actor in there who is defying the head coach, who is breaking team rules, who is flouting team rules, who is making a mockery of the system, and then who is potentially corrupting those around him. Jack Jones is a guy who already had some character stuff at Arizona State as a rookie. Or, or in college, I should say. Then he already had the stuff this offseason with the allegations that he carried the loaded gun into the airport. Jack Jones doesn't need a bad influence around him. He needs a, he needs a team full of Matthew Slaters around him. He doesn't need this guy here polluting things for him. So this team would be better off without J.C. Jackson. J.C. Jackson used to be Mr. INT. He was at one point one of the better cover corners in the league. He went to San Diego, or he went to L.A., rather. He got paid. He was bad. He got injured. He ain't that guy anymore, and he ain't going to be that guy again. So get rid of him. I don't know why the Patriots are keeping him, as a matter of fact. 
Maybe they can cut him after the bye week. I don't know. But they are cut him at the bye week, which is coming up after this game. But th- this isn't needed. And if you are Bill Belichick, you shouldn't want this. If you are Robert Kraft, you shouldn't want this. This is an embarrassment. This is the kind of things that happens on bad teams. And if you're Bill Belichick and you're looking to exert control and you're looking to keep control and maintain control, then get rid of this guy. Again, he's not good enough to be worth this problem. Right? I had a buddy once talk about the hot to crazy scale. Like, the hotter he or she is, the more crazy you'll put up with. J.C. Jackson right now, he's about a one on the list. So if you're a one on the hot to crazy scale, I ain't putting up with a level 10 crazy. And that's what we've got here when you're blowing off, when you're coming late to the team hotel, when you're setting a bad example, and when you are part of something that's dragging down a younger player who I'd like to have in the fold in the future. Uh Uh-uh, not going to last, not with me, goodbye. I don't know why they haven't gotten rid of him yet. I hope they do when they get back from Germany. Hey, JC, here's your check for the week. Thanks for the couple days of practice. Now be gone. Because you did the wrong thing. You, you you moped for the media and didn't talk. You played the victim, clearly. And you're dragging young guys down with you. It's not necessary. We don't need it. I spoke to Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio about this yesterday. He says this also is a bad sign. But if guys are doing this, that means they don't respect Bill Belichick like we're used to seeing. And if those two guys are doing that, then how many other guys in that locker room are in the same mindset but not committing to the point that they don't want to be there or doing something to completely flaunt the rules that are in place with the New England Patriots? If that's a problem, that means that's a two-player problem right now. That doesn't mean that it's not going to escalate. Does not mean it's not going to escalate. i got to nip that in the bud. Hey, we may not win every game, but we are damn sure going to go about our business the right way. J.C. Jackson doesn't respect the process. He doesn't respect Bill Belichick. He doesn't respect Robert Kraft. And you know what? He should be so unbelievably indebted to Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft that this is insulting. I'm getting angrier and angrier as I talk about this story. J.C. Jackson was an undrafted free agent. Undrafted. The Patriots signed him. They gave him his first chance to make an NFL roster. They gave him his first chance to be on an NFL field. Now, yes, he put in the work, and yes, he played well, but because the Patriots gave him that first chance, they afforded him the opportunity to play in Super Bowls. With that came the the, the opportunity for him to get life-changing money, which he got in Los Angeles. His career washed out with the Chargers. The Patriots bring him back. They've given him his first chance and his second chance, and this is how he thanks them? You talk about biting the hand that feeds you. You talk about doing dirty the guys that have been there for you. That's this J.C. Jackson story, case in point. If I'm Bill Belichick, I'd be offended as all hell. You're not playing for my football team again. Not this week, not next week, and not next season. You want to go play for somebody? Fine. You ain't going to play for me anymore. I am not dealing with this. You're not coming to Germany. You're not getting on the team bus, as far as I'm concerned, anywhere. I mean, this is absurd. And you're bringing somebody down with you, a guy who we're already worried about teetering a little bit in Jack Jones. Yeah, the Patriots are light at DB. I don't care. Yes, Christian Gonzalez is hurt. Yes, Marcus Jones is out. Yeah, Jack Jones has been banged up. Yeah, Jonathan Jones is out a couple of games. Don't care. I'm not putting up with this. I will put Matthew Slater back at defensive back if I have to before I play J.C. Jackson again, if I'm Bill Belichick. Talk again, biting the hand that feeds you. 
How about thanks for nothing? Thanks for nothing. 802-585-3026. Let's step aside. We'll come back. I got one more Patriot story here. Very, very interesting. Mac Jones, we've talked a lot about his attitude on the field. Does his attitude with the media bother you as well? It bothers one Patriots insider. I'll tell you who next. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Full show up until 7 o'clock. We're going to recap some of Buster Olney's thoughts from the general manager's meetings topics as it relates to the Red Sox. We'll do that in a couple of minutes. I want to get to this Mac Jones thing also. But first, um, Danny, how is your Seinfeld watching going? Um, Not much progress since we last spoke. The Celtics are really getting in the way, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, they're, they're doing that. I thought that you were going to be able to run through this and that you were going to be like on an episode a night thing here, but you're like on like once every two weeks, it seems like. Uh, maybe a little more than that, but I'm still stuck on season four. You know what I came across recently? And like I've seen it before, but like, you know what I've come across a little more recently lately is King of Queens. I like that show. I would love I know to... it's stupid, but it's a, it's a good show. Why is it stupid? Well, I mean, it's it's just your typical sitcom, you know, but I, I so like it. All sitcoms are stupid then. Is that what you're telling me? No, I think Seinfeld does a little bit more clever comedy than King of Queens. Oh, okay, fine. I haven't watched enough King of Queens. I've seen random episodes. I think that show is hysterical. I would love to watch that show all the way through. And I don't know how many seasons there are, but I think there's at least 11. Is there um, that many? I think so. I Maybe I'm wrong, but I think there's at least 11. I don't know how I would do it because I'd be like you, too much to watch, but I would love to watch that show from start to finish. I feel like it would be hysterical. I'm trying to look up how many seasons there are, but, yeah, it's a funny show. I think I've seen most of their episodes. I mean, I, I love sitcoms. I like sitcoms better than movies, and I think I'm in the minority there. Are you a movie guy or a TV show guy? Probably more TV shows at this point. Interesting. Okay, so I thought I was in the minority there. I am very much a TV show guy. There's a bunch of different reasons. Um, nine seasons, by the way. Nine seasons. Okay, I still don't know how I get through it. But um, I'm very much a TV show guy. I, I like the idea of watching four half-hour shows inside the time I could watch two, mo- or, you know, a two-hour movie. Um, TV shows are a little less smart, so I can kind of be a little more passive while I watch them. Um, I don't always get movies, frankly. Like, my mind gets racing about things, and I get distracted. So, like, I'll I'll be watching the movie, but then I'll be thinking about the ball game or what's coming up later, and all of a sudden miss that, okay, that guy was, you know, that was the same guy from the beginning. Or, hey, that guy was a bad guy before. Now he's a good guy. What happened? Like, I, I will be the guy who misses that stuff. So movies, I don't I, – I do watch them. Like, it's not like I don't watch movies, but I prefer TV shows. Four episodes of Seinfeld – in the time it takes me to watch one movie, um, I'm down. I'm down with the sitcom scene, right? Friends, Seinfeld, Big Bang Theory. I love them all. I would like to add King of Queens to that repertoire. You should, but I don't, I don't know that I'm ever going to be able to. I tried to go and watch Frasier, which is also probably too old for you, Danny. To really, no, I know a little about. bit of it. I've okay, show me it. I liked that he was a radio host. Yeah. So uh, I wanted to watch Frasier all the way through, and I watched like three episodes, and then I was like, okay, I don't have time anymore, and. I started watching Wings, which is a show from the 90s also, 
and that my parents used to watch. And it's a, it's a good show. I got through like two seasons of that. And there's like, I think there's like six, but I haven't finished that. So I, Do you have to I ditch a show before you add a new one. I have to finish a show before I add a new one. I don't like leaving things incomplete from start to finish. Yes. I'm very OCD about certain things. Like, I don't know, like, if OCD is actually something that you, like, if it's an actual thing you have or it's just a quality that you possess. Like, I really don't know medically if it's an actual thing. But I'm very OCD about certain things. Like, I like things in order, in their place, and I like to finish them. Did I tell you my baseball card story before? No, had them all alphabetical or something? Yes. Wow. Oh, yeah. I think my so, dad probably did the same thing growing up, so. So, I had, now I had hundreds of baseball thousands of baseball cards but i had two binders that was like where like my a cards went like my what the guy whether there was players i liked or good players or whatever like i i had boxes of cards that were just strewn about that didn't mean anything to me but i had two binders that were massive like the three and a half inch like school notebooks like the biggest ones you could get and i had those binders filled to the brim with card pages and I had every card alphabetized, and it was to the point where I had to stop getting new cards because every time I got a pack of six cards, if I wanted to put any one of those six cards in the binder, I had to take every card out oh, God. and get it alphabetized. So I had to stop getting – like I couldn't have the Griffey card next to – the A-Rod card. I, 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 I was out of order. Have, out of order. So when I got a new Griffey card, I had to go and start at the G's and take every card after that out just to add in one slot. Painstaking. It, it, it was an, getting one pack of cards was an all-day effort. And I loved collecting cards. Part of me stopped doing it, I'm convinced, because it was such an effort. It was such a hassle. Did you and, not think of, like, leaving a space in between each one so you could keep adding? I did leave spaces. I absolutely did, 100%. Um, I started to, add, to leave spaces, and but then, you know, you end up with empty card slits, and they never get filled, or they don't get filled very often. And that didn't bother me as much as things being out of order. But I did, no, I did leave things for sure, 1,000%. So um, text says, you are like a, uh, <laughs> oh, do you like The Office or Seinfeld? Seinfeld, 1,000%. I've um, seen The Office all the way through, so I can't judge yet. Yeah, like I told you, I like The Office. Seasons one through five, I think, are great. When Michael leaves and they get all the weird people in there, I didn't pay attention anymore. Um, Brady, you're like a sports psychologist on the air for us, though, so you are a fair comparison to Dr. Fraser Crane. Well, I appreciate that. I'm not as smart as Dr. Fraser Crane or as rich. Glennon Brookfield says, Field of Dreams, the movie, outweighs a sitcom. Okay, that's one movie. I mean, yes, I'm sure there is a movie that is better than watching four sitcoms, but I enjoy sitcoms for sure. Um, all right, let me get to this Mac Jones thing, because this is an interesting story that came out the other day. So, Danny, I want you to play Max Cut first when I call for it. So on Sunday, Patriots lost, and Mac was asked a question about the separation ability of his wide receivers. Here's what he said. We have guys out there that are really trying and doing a good job, really. It's just, it's football, right? It's the NFL. The, the, the window for separation is very quick and, you know, it might be there for 0.1 second and you gotta kinda fit it in there. So, 
Um, it just depends on the play too, right? One play could be, you know, maybe they're not the defense is not taking that away, or they're giving you the you know the shorter throws or whatnot. So um, there's a lot that goes into each play. Really, it's based on the play. So that was that's my fault, Danny. That's actually a, a slightly different cut that I wanted. That was actually from him on WEI on Monday. On Sunday, he was asked about separation, and he said something like, "That's a good question." Almost like, "Yeah, you know what? You're right. You're all picking up on things that I already know." That's kind of how it came off. Michael Holly of NBC Sports Boston says he really didn't like that because he does this little nasty passive. He's nice nasty. Mm. He does this little passive aggressive thing at the podium where he says, "Hey, I believe in all my teammates," but then he'll say, "If you ask him a question that fits his agenda, hey, that's a really good question." <laughs> he does things. He does that nice nasty stuff. Yeah. I don't like it. And and he never really looks at himself. I don't think he's he's either. Uh, not self-aware enough to understand his own limitations for throwing passes like that, or uh, he, he just is incapable of just saying, "Hey, my bad. It's all it's on me. You got to take responsibility." You know? you know what I think about Mac Jones, and I, I think there's probably a deep dive psychologically here. Is I just think that Mac Jones is frustrated. And confused. And I do think that Mac Jones is a little bit childish. Right? We've talked about it, right? Mac not handling adversity well. Mac not handling things on the field well. The thing with Brian Burns. The things with Sauce Gardner. I do think there's a childish nature to Mac Jones. There is a bit of a whiny brat quality to Mac Jones. And when you see him yelling at guys on the sideline or yelling at the officials, I think that's absolutely true. And maybe that fits into what Holly is saying. But... I also think that Mac is frustrated, and I think that Mac is a bit confused. I think, I truly think that Mac Jones acts robotic at times, and he acts like, again, I've used this before, like this is a written test and not a performance task. I almost feel like Mac has a manual of answers in front of him, right? Like he knows what the answers are supposed to be. And so I think he's regurgitated these same things when he says, I have confidence in all my teammates or when he he'll say like, we can all be better. It's me too. You know, he'll say all that kind of stuff. So I the Patriot way in press conference. Yeah. I mean, I think he's got this kind of stock answer book that he works from. And I think like, I don't know. I just, it feels very robotic. So, I think he kind of battles between, like, okay, what's the right answer here and what's how I'm actually feeling? Earlier in the year when he's like, hey, we need to get here earlier, we need to stay later, and guys need to practice harder. I think that was really him. That wasn't the the by-the-book answer. He got eviscerated for it. Now he's saying, hey, that's a good question. You know, you're all kind of seeing what I see. Uh Uh-huh. Like, that's not really the right answer either. So then Mac will come back the next day and have the more appropriate answer. I just feel like Mac is kind of stubbing his toe through this scenario or through this process with the Patriots. And I think that's what stems from being two and seven, right? Like you're always on the defensive. You're always answering something on the defensive. You're always answering a question about being frustrated about your emotions. I'm not trying to excuse him. I don't think that he's as bad a guy as Holly seems to think he is. I don't think that Mac is a bad guy. I do think Mac has some childish qualities to him and I don't like that. 
But overall, I think he is a good guy. I think he's probably a generally likable guy, but I think he's really struggling trying to figure out who to be, right? He's never struggled like this before. He's had adversity, didn't win the starting job at Alabama until his senior year. He's had adversity, but he's never really struggled. When he's played, he's always played well, and this is new for him. To have the answer at the podium when things are going poorly. To, um, you know, have to look in the mirror and evaluate himself. I think it's all new. We'll ask Phil about this tomorrow because now I'm curious about it. 802 585 3026. More people want to talk about sitcoms. Here we are. Seriously, we're talking about Mac. We talk about the Patriots. We talk about two and seven. We get like five texts. We talk about sitcoms. We get like 105. So. Uh, I appreciate this. Though. I love that all of you love. Um, I love that all of you love our kind of side conversation. Um, I want to get to Buster here momentarily, but Celtics lost yesterday, Danny. Uh, I did, did you watch every minute of the game? I did. Okay. The last two minutes was absolutely wild. I mean, they were down 14 points with a minute 59 to play, lost by three, and had every and had a chance. To tie the game. It was a great look by Porzingis. Great look by Porzingis. So, like, on one hand, hey, you're disappointed that the offense kind of sputtered for three quarters. They gave up a bunch of offensive rebounds in the second quarter. They got down by 15. They allowed Maxi to go off for, for 25 points. And Maxi's good, but they allowed him to go off alongside Embiid. So you're frustrated. On the other hand, you're like, well, hey, it's great they showed the character and the resolve to come back, and they had a good chance at it, so it's good that they never quit. How did you take yesterday's loss? Yeah, I mean, other than the ridiculous comeback, they were going to lose that game by about 10. So they didn't play well enough to win. They almost won or almost forced overtime. But uh, too too much inconsistent offense, and, and the Sixers played good defense. So they forced a lot of turnovers. But we could have played a lot better. Let me ask you this, because this is not something I have the perfect answer to. And I'm not watching every minute of every game like you are. They scored 126 points against Washington. They scored 124 against Brooklyn. They scored 155 against Indiana. They have put up some high point totals. So in seven games, I would say three of them were really good offensive efforts. They put up 119 against Miami. I'll even give you four of seven. But in the other three games, 108 against the Knicks, that was kind of a sludge offensively. Um 109 against the Timberwolves, that was, they needed overtime to get 109. Yesterday they only get 103. I, I'm not, I can't tell you that 103 is a bad point total, but I'm so used to NBA games now being played in the 120s that it surprises me to see them struggling in some of these games. Are you thinking this is a them issue, a defensive issue by their opponents that's causing them problems. The officiating is different this year because the offense isn't as consistent and isn't as prolific as maybe I've been expecting. But, again, I'm not watching every minute like you are at this point. I feel like it's a little bit of both. I think they played a couple good defenses, but if you're going to play a good defense, you have to also buckle up defensively if you're going to be in that low-scoring type of game. So The 1-0, I mean – the Timberwolves game, again, they got to 109, but it took them over till overtime. I mean, that was that was a, a, a slog offensively, and yesterday was a slog too. And I know they had a bunch of guys at double figures, but I mean, Jalen Brown really shot Rough poorly game. until the end, right? Like, he hit a couple of threes late, but he only had 11 points. And 
Derek White had 19, but in the la- in the fourth quarter, last six minutes or so, I don't think I saw him hit a field goal. He did hit two, a couple of free throws, but I don't think I saw him hit a field goal. Tatum struggled, had 15 rebounds, which is excellent, but only had 16 points. I mean, they had one, two, three, four, five, six players in double figures, but only had two guys get over 16. The bench continues to be an issue, right? They only had 16 bench points yesterday. They only had nine guys play in the game. So things we thought would be issues have been issues, right? Some of the front court size, getting beat on the glass at times. Philly was great, as uh, Joe Mazzulla said after the game in that second quarter on the offensive glass. But then, again, the bench depth is, has been a problem. Nice to see Hauser, you know, playing fairly well here now kind of consistently. But they're not getting very much, if anything, from Peyton Pritchard, who, again, had no points. And just the offense doesn't feel as crisp as I was expecting. I, I don't know. I I don't know what I feel like a good average NBA team should get. I feel like they should average about 110 points, though. Yeah, 110 to 115, I would think. And they've been under that now multiple times. And, yes, they scored 155, which is insane. But 103, 104, 108, that doesn't seem like it's going to consistently get it done in today's NBA. It would have worked. It would have been prolific in 1997 it's not prolific today so they're still good they're in a tough stretch of their schedule here i know it's early but look they just played minnesota who might be a playoff team philly's going to be a playoff team they got brooklyn coming up who is going to challenge i would imagine danny for that five through ten spot like they're probably a playoff team in the eastern conference then they're going to get the knicks again then they're going to get philly again you know so this is a tough schedule so we will see what happens. I'm not worried by any means. We're only seven games in. Just a little bit surprised when I check box scores and see guys struggling, and then I go and watch the fourth quarter yesterday, and it just looks kind of tough, and that's kind of where we're at. So, um, And getting right. out-rebounded. Not great. Yeah, getting out-rebounded is a problem. Tech says anyone can say whatever they want about Mac. He hasn't had the offense. His offense hasn't been geared for his skill set. Hasn't been given true playmakers as the Dolphins did for Tua. That's absolutely true. I do think he's kind of stubbing his toe through the leadership, though. And I've thought that for a while. And it's hard to lead when things are going poorly. And I don't think he's ever had the experience doing that. So Brady Farkas showing WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. We spoke to Buster Olney of ESPN earlier about what the Red Sox should do this offseason, about what they're thinking. We've got Buster's take, we've got takeaways from Buster and Buster's sound bites. We'll get to it next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV-AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Earlier today, we spoke with Buster Olney, our ESPN MLB insider, and a couple interesting comments came out of that. A couple interesting discussion points. The full interview will be available when the show is over on our podcast channel. There's this notion out there, and I, did, I had not heard this until today, um, Rob Bradford of WEEI said that last offseason, the Red Sox were very interested in trading for Glaber Torres of the New York Yankees. The Yankees are interested in Alex Verdugo. They need a lefty. They need an outfielder. They need, you know, just to add some more balance to their lineup. So Bradford was wondering if Craig Breslow would kind of reignite those conversations. I asked Buster about a possible Torres for Verdugo's uh, uh it's a swap. That's the word I'm looking for. You know, given the Yankees' struggles offensively last year, trading Glaber Torres right now for them would be like trading one of their three or four best yeah. hitters. That would be a, a high bar for them. And I think that 
from their perspective, they probably could go out and get a, you know, the sort of production that they would get out of Verdugo in the free agent market. I'm with Buster. I do not think that Alex Verdugo could net you Glaber Torres. Now, look, they're both going to be free agents after the season. So I get the Yankees maybe wanting to move Torres and get something for him before he leaves in free agency or whatever. They can do better than Alex Verdugo. Okay, Verdugo last year had more appeal, right? He had two years left on his rookie deal. He was seen still as an up-and-coming player. He's not a bad player, but he's not worth Glaber Torres. I mean, Danny, let's just run through this, okay? Glaber Torres had a war of 2.9, Alex Verdugo's was 2.6. So overall, Glaber Torres was worth more. Glaber Torres had 19 more hits than Alex Verdugo did. Glaber Torres hit 25 home runs, Alex Verdugo hit 13. Glaber Torres hit 273, Alex Verdugo hit 264. Glaber Torres scored more runs than Verdugo did. Glaber Torres had 68 RBIs, Alex Verdugo had 53, uh, 54. Glaber Torres had 13 stolen bases, Alex Verdugo had 5. Glaber Torres had a 347 on base percentage. Alex Verdugo had a 324. Every single category I just named was Glaber Torres in the lead. When that is the case, you're not getting a one-for-one swap. It's just not going to happen. Okay, The Yankees can use a left-handed bat, but Buster's right. They could find that bat on the free agent market to do similar to that for cheaper, I'm sure. Right? Buster was talking about the Red Sox maybe signing Tommy Pham. Tommy Pham is a right-handed hitter. You're telling me there's not a left-handed version of Tommy Pham out there potentially? Or you're, there's not a left-handed version of Tommy Pham out there on the trade market that doesn't cost you your number three hitter? The Yankees very well may be willing to trade Glaber Torres. They may not want to give him $100 million. They're like, hey, let's go get something for him. They could do better than Verdugo. They could go get a pitcher, I think. They could go get a, a number three starter for Glaber Torres. I don't. Verdugo's not worth enough. Verdugo, I was actually very disappointed when Buster told me what he thinks the return for Verdugo could be, Danny. Um, I'm going to have to pull this up. I will pull it up myself. But, yeah, this is what Buster told me was the potential return in a deal for Verdugo. Danny, nothing is letting me do anything. It's Buster only number three. Can you play it? If I can find it. it. Look in the links section. Look in the links section here. Filling, filling. No, I think there probably is a lot of uh, interest in him. Uh, you know, I I mean, look, the, the perfect comp for Verdugo at this point is what happened with Mark Canna of the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, you know, someone who had one year left with an option, I think it was for $11 million, yep. $12 million. Uh, and what did the Brewers get back? Not much. They got a fringy minor league pitcher. I am very, that that doesn't feel like enough for Verdugo. So we got to figure out what this guy's actually worth because I was always under the impression that Alex Verdugo was worth a major league player, a back-end rotation guy. That's what I always thought. He was worth a back-end rotation guy that could help the Red Sox with their pitching staff because, okay, Verdugo for Torres, I think that's swayed too heavily for the Yankees. I don't think they would do it. Verdugo for a fringy minor leaguer, no thank you either. I'm not interested in that. Right, like I don't want a fringy minor leaguer. This guy's an everyday player. I don't want some 17-year-old who I hope can hit in two and a half years. I'm not interested in that either. 
I think there's got to be a major league for major leaguer return. Heck, I'd rather keep Verdugo than go and trade him for what Buster just said. I mean, if the Red Sox need to clear $9 million that badly, then they're not operating with the resources Craig Breslow said they're going to operate with. Because Alex Verdugo playing for me is more worth it to me than a minor leaguer like that. Heck, I'd rather have Verdugo play well for me and then move him at the all-star break and see if I could get an upped return at that time. I don't have any interest in trading him for a 17-year-old. I'm trying to get guys that help me win now. Yes, there's an outfield glut. Yes, they'd like to clear that. But if, if the price for giving Verdugo away is just that giving him away, I, I'm not interested. I, I gotta get a major league starter as far as I'm concerned. Um, text says, how about Verdugo as part of a package to get Dylan Cease? Dylan Cease pitches for the White Sox. The White Sox are gonna be horrible this year. I don't think they need to take on a player who only has one year of team control left. I, I don't think it does a lot for them, um, for sure. So, uh, Tex wants to know, Danny, are you gonna watch, are we gonna watch Panthers and Bears? My answer is no. How about yours? Absolutely not. I may turn it on for two minutes of gameplay, see the score, and if it's be close done with in the it. fourth quarter. I don't even know if I'll get to the fourth quarter with that. We'll see you tomorrow on DEV.